0: we get to finish our series in Acts. Talk about that kingdom. Where did it begin? How's God's power? How does it begin? Is God's kingdom come? We've been going through this first part of Acts, chapters one through nine, each week kind of going through a different chapter. And uh and uh we're gonna stop here at, at Acts 9 to give us a little break for, for the holidays and things like that, and then we'll come back to Acts later on after Christmas. And uh but this we kind of get to to wrap this up, this first portion of it, in Acts chapter 9, to see all these amazing things that God has done. But before we do that, of course, we have our Bible memory verse that we always want to memorize a little bit of God's word, because so, uh, disciples of Jesus know the word of God. And so the memory verse that we've decided for this series was Acts chapter 1, 8, where Jesus' last words to us were this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, we've been memorizing this for the last eight weeks. I hope that um, you've got it. But if you're new to it, don't worry about it. You got the Bible memory verse card and things like this. You know, that's one of those passages that we need to tattoo to our hearts, isn't it? It becomes a filter by which we get to see the world through. It helps us to make sure that we live a life of importance and value. Now before we get to, as we we get into this message, just a reminder of of all the things that we've seen so far, this new kingdom, the new kingdom has done some amazing things for us. In Acts chapter 1, we receive that new mission, that we're going to receive God's power, we're going to be His witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The witness that that mission, that we're going to be disciples, that build disciples here, there, and everywhere. In Acts chapter 2, we receive, remember that part of that thing, you will receive power when, well guess what, the Holy Spirit comes on you. Acts chapter 2, we got to see when the Holy Spirit came. And we received a new Spirit, the Holy Spirit, a spirit of grace and also a spirit of community. In Acts chapter 3, we saw in there that we also, as part of this new kingdom, we have a new message. This new message is that guess what? This is life. This is about Jesus, not us. That we are saved by God's grace through our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And as he transforms us from the inside, we become a blessing and transform our world. In Acts chapter 4, we got to read about, we also received a whole new kind of boldness. That in this world, we, we see things like authority and, and power and, and uh, all those things. That try to intimidate and to stop stop people from, from changing, and from bringing anything new. But we recognize that there's a whole new boldness that the church has that we could look to the, to the evil forces of this world and be unflinchingly convinced that God's kingdom has In Acts chapter 5, we realize that, that that boldness comes from the fact that we have a brand new authority, that we no longer just serve the ways of this world, but we serve God himself as we carry about his plans. He has the authority to send us to every single nation. His authority overrides all others. And so we work with underneath a greater authority. And then we found in in Acts chapter 6 that we also, in that authority, we've been given a new identity in Christ. Not one that is based upon what everybody in the world bases their identities upon. Their race, their socioeconomic backgrounds, their last names, their their gender, their whatever you want to make these things that people decide that we're going to make, this is what we're going to identify wise. We realize that God gave us a new identity, that we are his children, that we are part of his kingdom, that if we're going to be partisan, we get to be partisan in that, his kingdom that, that has, that reaches out all kinds of people from all over the globe, and therefore we can love all kinds of people, and the kingdom of God is able to bring about a unity and love and a healing to this world. It's amazing. In Acts chapter 7, then we recognize that that new identity breeds a brand new kind of witness. We we get to testify to better things. We saw in Acts chapter 7 that first martyr of the faith, and martyr means witness, how Stephen was able to be able to stand before those who would bring about false charges and answer them with truth and with compassion. And his witness wasn't about himself. His witness and his life demonstrated that there was a transforming power in him, but also a great love for even those that were in darkness. That God had called him to them. In Acts chapter 8, we recognize that that kind of persecution provides us new opportunities. That every single day on this world, God has an opportunity for us. That he's not just preparing us for some future event, but he's prepared you perfectly for today. And tomorrow, you'll be perfectly prepared for tomorrow, that God is at work right now. His kingdom is not just going to come. Jesus said, my kingdom has come. And it is coming now into this world, in you, through you, doing amazing things. And today is the day of opportunity. The day is the day of faithfulness. All of that. Now we bring to Acts chapter 9. Where we see all of this kind of coming together. We recognize that it brings about a whole new kind of life. A whole new kind of life. So if you have your Bibles, please turn them to Acts chapter, Acts chapter 9. It's a, it's, a powerful, it's a powerful story that we see in here. One of the greatest evidences of the truth of our faith is actually contained in this chapter. Because we see a life transformed. And that transformed life, transformed our faith, transformed the world. As we go through, we'll start with just a summary of it. We start with, with this man. His name was Saul. And he was a, a persecutor of the church. And we read about how he finds Jesus in the most unlikely and unexpected of ways. And then, how he was transformed by that, and then accepted by the church that he was going to go persecute, and how God gave him then a mission to people that were totally unlike him, and empowered that mission and then the chapter ends then going back to looking at Peter too, and seeing how the apostle Peter was no longer just in Jerusalem but also was at the in Samaria and <laughs> And Judea, but Samaria, and he was spreading the gospel even further, getting ready to spread the gospel to the very ends of the earth. That's Acts chapter 9. And so we see that this chapter has got some pretty amazing things in it. Let's focus in on, on really the main thing that I wanted to do. It's the, it's the conversion of Saul. And so if we wouldn't mind, just join me. I want to read the first 22, 21 verses in, in Acts chapter 9. This is an amazing story. And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man there from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority of the chief priest to arrest all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God, and all who heard him were astonished and asked, "Isn't he the man who raised havoc on, in Jerusalem amongst those who called on his name? And hasn't he come here to take us prisoners, take us as pr- prisoners uh, to the high chief priests?" Yet Saul grew more and more powerful, and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Talk about a transformation! Saul was an enemy of the church. I mean, we talk about somebody who's least likely to follow Jesus is the guy who is out there persecuting people because they believe in Jesus. That's probably about the least likely that you can get. He was at Stephen's execution. He was there giving agreement. He he led the terror campaign in Jerusalem that caused all of those Christians to flee the city as refugees, abandoning their businesses, their livelihoods, their communities, everything. He was the, the head of that. He did such a great job, and he was so zealous. He was like, I, I want to export this. Let's franchise this terror. Let me go now into where Syria is. Let's go up there, and let's go to Damascus so that I can also terrorize the Christians there. This is where his his heart was. And he was so good at it, and he had so much power that even the chief priests were like, yeah, you're the guy. He was widely feared. What is it, like, what, verse 13, when, when uh, Jesus says, hey, go to Straight Street. There's a guy named uh, uh, Saul there from Tarsus. You're going to pray for him. And, and what is, what is Ananias' response? He's like, uh, Jesus, you might have the wrong guy. Right? Maybe you haven't heard about him. Uh, he's a bad dude. And Ananias would be terrified. He was going to have to go to his enemy. God was calling him to the craziest, wackiest of places. But he still went. Saul was such a bad dude that even the apostles were terrified. Even after Saul converted and had had this transformed life and he was preaching up there in Damascus and all that eventually they they get word of it in Damascus that that he's preaching and so they weren't they were none too happy about this and so there was those in Damascus that wanted to kill Saul and so he escapes Damascus it's in here and then he comes back to Jerusalem and he's in Jerusalem and the apostles are terrified these guys were the same guys who stepped before the Sanhedrin and said we're going to obey Jesus not you they are the same guys that had that holy boldness they were terrified to meet with Saul that should let you know something about how bad he was in verse 26, it says, and I, and I love this because it shows the apostles are just so much like us. It says, when he, Saul, came to Jerusalem, he wanted to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, believing that he was, uh, wonder, believing that he was not really a disciple. They're like, we've seen God change amazing things. We've seen God raise people from the dead, but God changing Saul into a believer? Uh, I don't think so. But God can do anything. Saul also was a Hebrew of Hebrews, wasn't he? That's who he is. I mean, he was he was like super duper Jew, right? He was the one that his entire life was wrapped around Jesus. Even his name—we talked about the the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. Saul was a Hebraic Jew. That's his name, Saul, after King Saul. Right? He was he, he was not Hellenistic. He was a, a, a person that was all about, he was proudly Jewish. In fact, in Philippians, later in his life, Paul writes about this and his attitude towards it. In Philippians 3, let's go back. It says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. For as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based upon the law. Who you would think that God would choose to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, He was a Zionist, right? He was like, Jerusalem for the Jews. Get those dirty, awful Romans out. Saul was a zealot. He was going to keep his faith, his Jewish faith pure. He was a racist. As most, he felt that That the Samaritans were half breeds and the Gentiles they called dogs. And yet God changed him. And what changed Saul? He meets Jesus. That's what changes him. That's the point that the kingdom invades his life. He was on his way to persecute the church. He was on his way to do something truly evil. It's not the time most of us think we run into Jesus. But sometimes Jesus comes looking for us. Verse 4 and 5 had to be devastating for Saul because what he thought he was doing was good. Like most of us, when we're doing absolute wicked things, we justify it in our minds, don't we? Saul thought he was defending the purity of the faith, believing in his heart that God was pleased at what he was doing. Genuinely believed that arresting and murdering people causing deep levels of terror was a good representation of God's heart. He believed it so deeply. And when he was on that road and Jesus knocks him off his donkey with a bright light. Imagine how hard that would have been to realize that everything you believed was true was a lie. That you had actually been working against the very God you thought you were fighting for. That your moral compass was so askew that it led you to do wickedness and you thought it was absolute purity. Imagine the level of, of humiliation where he realized that he had been persecuting his own Messiah. And notice what Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Saul had raised his hand against the Almighty. This is not the kind of person that you would think that would... God would then change to use as a, as a mighty instrument of his kingdom. But you know, when Saul met Jesus on that road, our understanding of God is like this. Sometimes we think God is like us. If there was somebody out there, an enemy of yours, that was speaking bad about you, that was making people who liked you their lives miserable, he was getting things about you. He was doing bad stuff. And you had a chance to, to find him on a road and knock him off his donkey. You would just keep knocking him, wouldn't you? Because that's the human way. God had Saul exactly where he wanted him. And he gives Saul grace. Saul, who thought that the church had to be protected, the faith had to be protected by persecution. Receive something unexpected from God. Unmerited grace. Jesus says, there's a plan for you. Get up. You're going to go into Damascus. And you're going to wait. But I have plans for you. It's not over. He receives grace from Jesus. But he also receives grace from Ananias, doesn't he? When Ananias gets called to go visit this man who was a terrorist. First thing was like, Jesus, I don't want to go, are you sure? But then God said, go, and so he does. And what does he say to Saul as he goes and as he meets with him? Verse 17, this talks about the heart of transformation. Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, brother. Do you see that there's a new identity? There's a change that takes place. He received not just grace from God, but from the community of God. And not because of who Saul was, but because who God is and what he does. Saul receives this grace and his mercy. He receives the prayer. And he's able to see, and he stays there and receives the mercy and the kindness of the church. And then we find that Saul receives a bunch of new things, starting with a new mission. Verse 15 as the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim the name, my name to the Gentiles, and to their kings, to all people. He had a new mission in life. His old mission was to make the church look like I think it should, to make the faith behave like I think it should, to keep it pure. But Jesus gave him a whole new mission. He opened his eyes. was no longer to purify the jewish faith but to expand the faith even to the gentiles a new mission and in that he received a new spirit didn't he you recognize this and it says that when he would pray, is it the, the brother paul that verse is to say so that you will receive the holy spirit this man who was a, an enemy of god who was persecuting jesus god gifts him with his own presence. And gives him the power of the Holy Spirit. And notice that Paul didn't go preach before this. For he will receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit that comes upon you. And then you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That Paul was no longer alone. And not only did he receive a new spirit of grace and, and, and the Holy Spirit and the spirit of community, but he also has a brand new message now. Look at verse 20. He starts preaching right away. It says that once he began to preach in all the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. His message was no longer that, that the, the faith has got to be pure like I understood it needed to be. He's met Jesus. He received grace. He has a spirit and now he has this message that, hey guys, it's his life and it's about Jesus, not us. You're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And as he transforms us from the inside, we become a blessing and transform the world. He has a brand new message. And he preaches it powerfully, not just there, but also in the text that the Holy Spirit allowed him to pen in Scripture. And in this, he receives a new kind of boldness. Not a kind of boldness that that would would be uh, intimidated by authority, that would be intimidated by power, that would be intimidated by conflict. We see that this, this new young believer is given a kind of boldness that We read in verse 21, it says, All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem amongst those calling upon his name? Hasn't he come here to take them prisoner to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. A whole new kind of, of, of boldness. To go into the very synagogues that he was before going to go and purify from the faith, he now brings the faith into it. And in the rest of his life, we read in the rest of Acts, we read in his, his own epistles, his own handwriting. He faced all kinds of trouble, didn't he? But Paul never backed down because he had seen the evidence of God. He had received the grace. He was living a new life. And his boldness was not to persecute. He had boldness before, didn't he? the that God's kingdom is not a king that is advanced by conversion, by violence. But it is a kingdom that is advanced by conversion through conscience. Follow this Messiah or I'm going to lock you up. He began to go to the scriptures and to show them convincingly, this is Jesus. And he was patient with those who didn't understand. And a lot of rocks were thrown at Paul, weren't there? But he didn't throw many back. And in this new boldness, we find that he had a whole new kind of authority the apostle paul speaks with a different kind of authority not the kind of authority that was just handed down to him by by chief priests but the kind of authority is handed down by the king of kings and the lord of lords the kind of authority that allowed him to go to places that no good jew would ever go but the kind of authority that gave him the ability to love in a whole different kind of way he had a whole new kind of moral authority. It's such a moral authority that Paul, that he was the God who actually began to, the, the Lord used to, to pen so much of the New Testament. We understand God's heart and what he wants for us so that our moral compasses could be corrected. That's what from a man whose moral compass was so broken that he actually was killing Christians in the name of God. Paul had a new spiritual authority, didn't he? He was able, where the apostle Paul went, even though he was broken, even though he was a man that had a bad past, he walks in with a whole new kind of authority. The kind of authority that that even later on even demons recognize. They're like, man, we've heard of this dude. He has a new kind of religious authority that superseded the high priests. He was bringing about the kingdom. And in this Saul, we recognize he receives a whole new identity. In verse 22, we recognize that Saul, he, he exchanges his old identity. This Saul gave more and more, became more and more powerful, and he baffled the Jews in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. He was no longer a follower of the old way. He was a follower of Christ's way. He became a Christian. He goes from being super Hebrew to being apostle to the Gentiles. That's a big change, right? That, that's a that's a huge deal. You remember back uh, when uh, there was that, that guy that uh, worked for, uh, was it Verizon? Can you hear me now? And then all of a sudden he's doing commercials for another carrier, and we were all this shocked. He's an actor, by the way. That would shock us. Jesus changed Saul so much, making Christians out of, out of Gentiles. That's a huge change. How do you explain that? Other than the fact that he met the Lord. He demonstrates his new identity in the church so much that even the apostles in, in Jerusalem, they begin to trust him. In verse uh, 27, 28, we didn't read that, but it's, it's down there. And it's, it says it, But Barnabas, Barnabas was a cool dude. He was the only Christian brave enough in Jerusalem to go talk to Saul. <laughs> and he takes him with them to the apostles. And he told them how Saul, uh, on his journey, had seen the Lord. And that the Lord had spoken to him and how Damascus, he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so what does it say there? It says, so Saul stayed with them. And moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. In the very city that he wreaked havoc, he was able to go back and say, I got it wrong. And the church accepted him. And he says, I'm one of us now. I'm part of the family. And because of that, he gets a whole new kind of witness, doesn't he? Saul was an evangelist in Jerusalem. That's a different kind of witness than being the persecutor of the church in Jerusalem. I think there was a 180 that was had. He recognized that God couldn't just be confined to the sacred, that God didn't just live on that holy hill, that the Holy Spirit was now in him and working through him. He saw the redemptive work of God at work in his community and life. What a change. And from that point on, Saul never put anything above Jesus. Not his heritage, which at some point he actually writes back and says that was garbage compared to what I have now. He didn't put his tradition, his safety, his pride, nothing came above Christ in his life. Paul's message was clear a new kind of witness. And in this, Paul then receives a whole new kind of opportunity. The opportunity before him at first was to bring death, despair, destruction, and terror in the name of righteousness. That was his opportunity before he met the Lord. But after that, the world opened to him. Before this, Saul was confined to a very small space to love people that were only like him, that saw the world only like him, and to make sure that only people would see it like him. He was not free to go to places that now Saul was going to be able to go. He was not able to, to bring the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But now we see the world has opened to him. That his life was a different kind of life. Saul recognized in this world he gonna He's going to suffer for my name, but not forever. But in that trouble, he had purpose, didn't he? Every single time that he was persecuted for the faith, he recognized that he was also at one time on the other side. So he had a special kind of grace for those who would bring about hatred because he knew that they didn't understand. In that world, he had trouble. In his trouble, he had purpose. And guess what? In that purpose, he had power. <laughs> This is why we name our kids after Saul, Paul. This is why we do that. You know, if, if God didn't transform him, we wouldn't know who He was, except if you're some crazy historical nerd. We would look back at him as a blip in history, some old bigot that was at back there hurting other people. And yet today, we recognize him. As one of the most widely read, understood, most influential humans that has ever walked, not because of just what he has done, but what God has done through him. Life became opportunity. You see, Saul received a new mission, a spirit, a new message, a new boldness, a new authority, a new identity, a new witness, a new opportunity in Christ. That is another way of saying in all of this together that Saul has received a new life. That's what we talk about when you say you have a new life in Christ. That is the kingdom coming you. You get it. It's not about a conversion where I'm just getting fire insurance. Where God is just going to take me and leave me like I was. That's not how God converts. God changes. God has given you not just eternal life, but life more abundantly today. A new life. He can take a persecutor of the Jews and... And make him an apostle to the Gentiles. He can take an enemy of Christ and make him his spokesman and ambassador. That's what God does. He can take Saul, the sinner. And transform him into Saul, the apostle Paul, the saint. This is the new life. This is the new kingdom. How do we apply that? What a passage. But you know, it's not just for Saul. It's for us. Do you understand? Anyone can have a new life in Christ. Anybody. How many times have you heard people say, well, I'm not God's kind of person. Neither was Saul. But God loves him. We may have done some bad things in our past, as we brought out a lot of pain, sometimes we just did stinky, awful things that we knew were bad. Guess what? That's why we have a Savior. That's why we're saved by God's grace through faith. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. This is life. It's about Jesus, not you. You are saved by God's grace through faith. And Jesus, as your Lord and Savior. That's for all of us. get this it doesn't just start to stop there the disciples of jesus live a new life in christ that is that's the expectation jesus said follow me he didn't just say to saul knock him off his donkey and say well do you believe i'm real now and saul said yes i guess i believe you're real now and god jesus said okay go back to it He says, you're going to go and you're going to wait and you're going to learn a whole different way of life, Saul. I've got use for you. I'm going to redeem you from the dead ways that you used to live. So you can live a life of purpose. Oh, yeah, I'm going to give you a whole new kind of mission for your life. I'm going to give you a, a whole new spirit to empower it. Yes, I am. I'm gonna give you a new message. I'm gonna give you new boldness. I'm gonna give you a new testimony, a new witness. I'm I'm gonna give you a whole new kind of authority. God was at work. And this is what He does in us. When we became Christians, we didn't just join a club. We didn't just say, okay, Jesus, I believe that you're Lord and Savior, and that's enough. I'm gonna go back to my normal old life. No, you have a new life in Christ. This is the promise of discipleship, this is the best part. It's not just that I get my sins forgiven, but that I have a new life in me, a something new to live. Paul writes about this to the Roman church. He says this, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by his glorious power, the Father, we now also may live new lives. Do you get that? We may now also. This is a, a joy. The Christian faith is the greatest adventure there ever was. This world is broken. Do you see it? But we're not dismayed. We have purpose in it. There are haters out there because they haven't met Jesus yet, but they can because we are his lights and ambassadors. He has not abandoned us in our troubles, but he is using them powerfully. He's changing my perspective, and he's taken away my pain, and he's taken away my shame, and he's taken away my fear, because that's the way that the Holy Spirit works. I have God's power in me now. This is not Aaron versus the world, this is God versus the world, and he is changing the world. And he would use someone like me, like you, and he can do powerful things. New life. See, a new life in Christ is truly a new life you get it? It's not about just showing up. It's not about just saying the right things or singing a few hymns. It's about living and embracing the new life that God has for you in Christ. As your pastor, this is what I pray over you, beg over you. Every week, be changed. Live. Don't sit and let the enemy teach you that you don't have something to give. Oh, You have a new mission. You have a whole new spirit in you, don't you? You've got power like you can't imagine. There's opportunities aplenty. (sighs) This is what we're called to. This is for all of us. The question is, are you living the new life? Are you living it? And if you're not, are you ready? Because just like Saul on that road to Damascus, Jesus is calling. He says, get up and go and learn, and you will live. How do you put it into practice? Well, as I bring this series to a close, we recognize that discipleship is a series of steps, isn't it? It's always got to be a next step. Every day, a next step following the Lord. Sometimes my next steps are just getting up because I fell down. But that's a step. I've got some next steps that I suggest for you. In the back of your connection card, I wrote them down. First one is maybe memorize Acts 1-8. Maybe you say, you know what? I've been listening to this for eight weeks. It's Time. This is what God You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Maybe would you begin today and say, I'm going to start believing that. Think about this new life that he's called us to, a better life. Or maybe what you want to do this week is read the book of Acts. This is not a fairy tale. This is the story of God invading this world with light and love and truth, with redemption. This is our story. So maybe you begin to read it this week. What you want to do is you take it the offensive. You start praying for three. All the way through this series, I've invited you. Pray for three people who don't know Christ yet. We're called to make disciples of all people, right? To go out to to all kinds of people. Well, you know some of those people by name. Pray for them. And this is what I'm going to ask you to pray. If you're going to pray for three people, what you pray for them. Pray every day if if you can. Pray that God prepares them to receive the gospel. That God will bring that in their heart. That God will give you the opportunity to share the gospel. And the time comes, he will give you the words and the courage to do it. That's it. It's not hard. We even have a tool that we made. It's on the back of some of those seats behind you. It's like yellow or an orange uh, uh, bookmark that you can write those names down. I have one in my Bible in my office. There are people that I'm praying for. And it's been interesting and awesome to hear stories from you guys every week. About people that you've been praying for and opportunities that you've been given. We start with prayer. Or how about this? Maybe your commitment is to start living this new life. Not be content just knowing about it, but to get up and live it. Maybe for you it's seizing that, that whole new witness. Maybe for you it's, it, it's, it's going and, and taking hold of that mission that God has given you. Or trusting in the power of God's Holy Spirit and, and trusting him in prayer. Maybe it's trusting his new authority that you have. And refuse to be intimidated by the little things of this world that try to keep us down. Who knows what it is, but you do. And you say, I am done just acknowledging there's a new life for me in Christ, I'm ready to live it. And if you would need some help and next steps with that, then I encourage you to call me up or or visit with me this week. I would be loved to meet with you. Or Maybe there's something else that you need to, to do. The Holy Spirit's telling you to do that. My suggestion, obey the Holy Spirit. Let me know what it is so I can pray for you as your pastor. Or maybe today you're here and you've never made that commitment to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'll tell you what, there's a whole new life for you, and it is awesome. I've been walking this life in Christ for over 20 years now. Actually, almost 25. God is awesome. This, what we see in Paul is the reality of Christians today as well. He is a transformative God, and this is for you. If you want to make that information about starting a relationship with Jesus, I want you to let me know that and how to contact you. And then after the message, I'm going to be over there in the back. And I want you to meet with me, and we'll talk. I'm not going to force. This is not a sales pitch. This is an invitation to a brand new kind of life. And I'm sure you'll have questions. And if it would, you already, we'll help you take those steps of faith so that you can embrace and enjoy this new life in Christ. Okay, so we have these. You have your commitments. You have your, your prayer requests on there. In just a second, we're going to take our offering. I'm going to invite you to take these cards, put them in the offering basket as it's passed. And let's do that. First, let's pray for them now. Heavenly Father. God of mercy and love, grace, and goodness. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given us so many new things. Thank you for this new kingdom that we have the privilege of being part of for thousands of years. Your faithful will in the next life, but, the, but starting that life now, here. Father, I pray that you would bless this congregation, help us to be those that would live. This new life, to follow the footsteps of those who have gone before us as they have followed Christ. Help us to be faithful and effective. Let us be your witnesses here this week, Father. We have made commitments to follow you. Help us to keep those, Father, in a way that that does keeps us right lockstep behind you, not in leading us to legalism, but Father, that leading us towards you in love and in character and in faithfulness. So, Father, please do that. We pray for our tithes and offerings, Lord, too. That you would take these, bless them, use them for your kingdom. It is our privilege to invest in you. We love you so much. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.